The following message is from LifeSource Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about LifeSource is available at lifesource.org.au. So this morning I'm speaking on part two of our Life on Purpose series. And if you weren't here two weeks ago, Pastor Ross launched the series and he brought a word that was just foundational for the whole series. So I'd really encourage you, if you weren't here two weeks ago, to get the podcast and have a listen because it really laid a foundation for where we're going over the next few weeks as we look at what it means to do life on purpose. Because if you think about it, if God created us, then God knows how we are designed to work. God knows how our life is purposed and planned and ordered. And if we can discover in God our purpose and our identity and get the blueprint of life from him, then it's going to be the best life possible. It's going to be the life that God has put us on this earth to do. And so this morning I'm speaking on part two of Life on Purpose. And I'm speaking on the fact that we are created for community. So if you're taking notes this morning, you can write down created for community. Let's just pray. God, I just thank you so much for every person that's here this morning. God, you know their gifts and talents. You know the call on every person's life. And you know their story that led them up to being sitting here in this room today, Jesus. Maybe it's their first time here. Maybe they've grown up in this church. But you have a plan and a purpose for their life. And I pray right now, God, that we would just settle our spirit and open our hearts and come hungry and ready to hear your word this morning and that your word, God, would come forth and would set people free and change mindsets and that the truth would set us all more free this morning. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. When I think of the toughest times in my life, when I think of the worst times in my life, the most painful, the times where... I've wanted to quit on everything, on on life, on ministry, on God, on my family, on my marriage. When I think of just the darkest, most heartbreaking times in my life where I just felt loneliness and despair, when I think of all those times, they all have one thing in common. People. (laughs) When I think of the worst, the lowest, just crying out to God, why and how can I continue and how can I forgive? People (laughs) were part of, I think, every single one of those circumstances. I can't actually think of a time when I was in despair and it wasn't something to do with people. And yet, when I think of the best times in my life, the most rewarding, the most beautiful, the most joy and laughter filled, the moments where you realize why you were put here on this earth, the moments where you feel so fulfilled and so satisfied and so full of significance. When I think of those moments, every single one of them have one thing in common as well. People. People have the potential to bring the most pain to our lives and people have the potential to bring the most joy to our lives and you know the saying you can't live with them you can't live without them well I'm here to say this morning that we can live with them and we're called to live with one another but I'd love to spend a bit of time this morning unpacking why God designed it this way have you ever asked God what on earth were you thinking 
Surely there was an easier way, a neater way, a less risky way, just a nicer packaged way. I mean, if it was just me and God, life would be wonderful. Or if everyone was, have you ever thought if everyone was just like me, life would be wonderful? And then even when you finish that sentence, you realise, no, no. (laughs) That is a very scary, scary thought if everyone was just like me. But you and I have been created for community. But community is messy. Community can hurt. And then on the other side of things, without doing life in community, you don't discover who you are and what you've been called to do. And you can't actually be in relationship with God without learning to do life in community. So we're in this quandary this morning, and I'd like to spend a little bit of time looking at what the Bible has to say about what on earth God was thinking when he set it up like this. Okay, so if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, fortunately, you don't have to go very far in the Word of God to start to discover what on earth God was thinking. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small creatures that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, I want you to look at the first line. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. That's our first clue. We discover in the first chapter of the Bible, in the story of creation, that God is an us. Have you ever noticed that? God didn't say, let's make them like me in my image. He said, let's make human beings like us in our image to be like us. And we know, because we have the entirety of the Bible, that the us God is referring to is the Trinity of the Godhead. We know that us is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And for God to create mankind in his image... God actually had to create male and female to be in relationship with one another because God himself in his very identity and personhood is a relationship. God doesn't just think relationships are important. He is relationship. He is community. It's not just something he does. It is who he is. And in order for mankind to reflect his image, there had to be an us. Because he isn't us. Are you following so far? (laughs) And so he had to create two genders and he had to create male and female so that as the genders unite together in perfect unity, so it was designed in the garden, to be perfect unity and relationship and community, only in community and only in relationship do man and woman reflect the image of God. You and I cannot reflect the image of God on our own. We only reflect the image of God truly when we come together. That's why we've been created for community. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says, Then the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. And then Genesis 2 24, 
This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. So we've been created to be in community, born to be in family, and you will be in two families in your lifetime. You'll be in the earthly family that you were born into, but you've also been invited by God to be part of his spiritual family. And only one of those two families will last forever, and that is your spiritual family. That is eternal. That is what we'll all be together in heaven. We'll be one big spiritual family. So we're part of two families in this lifetime, and one is eternal. Now, if you know the story of Adam and Eve, you'll know that God designed them to be in relationship with him and relationship with one another, but it wasn't long before they mucked all that up. So basically, very early on in the piece, they decided they knew better than God and they broke the intimacy and the relationship they had with God when they disobeyed him and broke trust. And the whole rest of the Old Testament is really the story of God trying to re-establish and and re-enter into relationship with his people. And sometimes when you read the Old Testament, you don't understand it all. Because if you ever tried to sit down and read Leviticus and some of those ones that just go through all the laws of the Old Testament, you'd be forgiven for thinking, who is this God? And what is he doing? And what's the go with all these rules and regulations? Where is the loving God that we know and serve in the Old Testament? Every single one of those rules and regulations that to our modern minds seem archaic and weird and unexplainable, every single one of them were put in place because God wanted relationship with his people. He put those laws in place to restart and reestablish from the very bottom level what Adam and Eve had broken in the garden. And he had to reteach them the very basics of how to relate to God and how to relate to one another. And yes, it was imperfect and it was flawed and it was put in place to prepare them for Jesus' coming. But when you read that Old Testament, you've got to understand the whole purpose was relationship and community. The whole story of the Old Testament is God preparing the Israelites to be ready for Jesus to come so that he could actually pave a way for true relationship and true community. And so then we get to the New Testament. So I'm just doing a little bit of a Bible lesson this morning. We get to the New Testament. And the Bible says just at the perfect time, God sent Jesus to come to earth and be our saviour. And there's two things I want to say about how Jesus came to earth. Because I think it is remarkable that Jesus came to earth not as a fully grown human male, but he came to earth as a baby and he was placed in a family. I don't know if you've ever thought about how amazing that is and how remarkable it is. You know, we go through life and we are vulnerable as human beings to being hurt by people, being loved by people, being comforted by people, being betrayed by people. And the Son of God, God himself, came in the form of a newborn, vulnerable baby. And he wasn't placed in the care of angels. He was placed in the care of a fallen, sin-filled family with brothers and sisters who could hurt him and love him and a mum and dad who could hurt him and love him. And I find it so comforting to think that when we wrestle with doing life in community and the mess and the beauty and everything that comes out of that, it's so comforting to know that God himself surrendered himself and made himself vulnerable 
to the very things that we are vulnerable to when we do life in community. And then when he grew up into manhood and started to engage in public ministry, he'd grown up in an earthly family. But as soon as he was going to start his public ministry, he formed a spiritual family. Because Jesus was born into an earthly family, but he wasn't called and wasn't put on earth to establish his earthly family. He came here to establish God's spiritual family on this earth. And so as soon as he embarked on public ministry, he chose 12 disciples. He chose 12 best friends to do life with him. And they traveled together and they lived together and they were in each other's pockets. Could you imagine? 12 blokes following Jesus around. And they weren't, you know, the world's most mature, godly. They only just met God. So they were just at the very beginning stages of even knowing how to behave and how to do life. It would have been messy. It would have been amazing and frustrating and just everything that you know and I know about life and community. It was all happening. And that's exactly how Jesus wanted it to be. So Jesus created a spiritual family. And then he died on the cross. And most of us probably understand in that moment on the cross that Jesus was restoring us into relationship with God. But I wonder if we understand the significance of what also was happening in this moment, that Jesus wasn't just restoring us back into relationship with God. He was restoring us back into relationship with one another. Because that's what was stolen in the garden. It wasn't just communion between God and Adam and Eve. It was the intimacy and the unity between Adam and Eve themselves before God. God in community, us in community with God, us in community with one another. Every layer of that was destroyed in the garden and Jesus came to restore every layer of that on the cross. And I want to read to you John chapter 17 verse 20 in the NIV translation. This is just before Jesus is about to be betrayed by Judas, the 12 disciples who he's made his spiritual family, his best mates, his best friends, that he has just spent three years pouring his life into, they're just about to desert him. They're just about to break his heart. And he knows they're going to betray him. His best mates are all going to flee. And one of them is going to be his betrayer. And this is what Jesus prayed. John chapter 17, verse 20. I am not praying I am praying not only for these disciples but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one and you are in me. Father and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Just before he was about to be crucified, he cried out to God and basically prayed a prayer that summarized his whole purpose for coming to earth to re-establish our relationship with God, but then to make a way for us to be one again. 
And the Bible says when we are one in relationship with God, then the world will know that God sent Jesus and that Jesus is real. Now I want to take it one step further because that's not the end of the plan. You see, when Jesus died for us on the cross and rose again, God's work wasn't finished because Jesus made a way for the Holy Spirit to come. And so Jesus stayed on earth when he'd risen again for about 40 days and he met about 500 different people, saw him, and he taught his disciples about the kingdom of God. But then he said to them, I must go back to be with the Father because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power to be my witness. And so I want to read from Acts chapter 2 and I want to show you just what happened to the Christians and the believers when the Holy Spirit came. Acts chapter 2 in the NIV, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Then going down to verse 41... This is in the NLT version. So if you're reading the NIV, sorry, we're going off off reservation. Sorry. So those, verse 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. So the Holy Spirit arrives, power goes out, and 3,000 people, that's a pretty good start to any church plant, I would say. Let's start on our first day with 3,000 new converts. What are we going to do with them all? (laughs) Oh my goodness, that's like 3,000 newborn babies popped out on one day, all of them with high maintenance needs, crying, pooping their nappies and needing feeding and attention immediately. What do you do? What on earth are the disciples going to do? Okay, verse 42, and in the NLT version, it has this heading and it says, the believers form a community. And I'll read what happens next. So 3,000 people have been saved. They're in relationship with Jesus, but the Holy Spirit has now come. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved." When Jesus came, when he died on the cross, it says in the Bible that the veil of the temple was torn in two. And for those of you who maybe don't know, there was a veil in the temple in the Old Testament that signified that man couldn't enter into God's presence, into the Holy of Holies. Only the priest could on one day a year. And as soon as Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn in two, signifying we now have access to God. But then when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, 
The believers formed a community signifying the second part of what Jesus died on the cross for us was the restoration of the Christian community and us living in unity with one another. And isn't it amazing that as soon as the Holy Spirit filled believers, he didn't just draw them to God, but he drew them to one another. Because the Spirit of God living in me and the Spirit of God living in you wants to be together. God's Spirit wants to dwell in community. God's Spirit wants to dwell in unity. And when we have God's Spirit inside of us, it doesn't just draw us to God. It draws us together. And then you notice the last verse of that passage. It said, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved which is the ultimate plan for the salvation of the world. Because when you and I are living in relationship with God and living in godly community with one another, it is like a magnet. It is like a megaphone. It is like a shining light in a dark world that's looking for hope, that's looking for answers. And they see us living in this miraculous godly community and they want to be part of it. And you know where it said that the Holy Spirit would give us power to be witnesses? The power of our witness isn't merely our words. The power of our witness is godly community powered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. And godly community and the way we forgive each other and are patient with one another and do life together shouts the loudest to this world than any sermon, than any worship song, than any words you can say to any non-Christian person. The thing that is the biggest witness and the thing that the Holy Spirit allows us to witness to this world is the power of Christians in godly community. Because in the natural, it's impossible. (laughs) It's impossible. But powered by the Holy Spirit, it's God's whole plan from the very beginning. So how are you traveling? Do we need to take like a, a pause, a breath? I know I need to, so... I'll give you a moment. So what I want to do now is talk about what happens when we do life in godly community. Because if God has planned it this way and designed it this way, he's going to have some pretty amazing things that are going to happen in our lives when we do life his way. Would you agree? He's always got a million things going on at once whenever he does anything. So I just want to unpack a few things that's happening in you and I when we do life in godly community. So if you've got your notepads this morning, get ready. Okay, my first heading is what happens when we do life in godly community. Number one, we find our purpose and meaning in godly community. Romans chapter 12 verse 4 to 6 says, In this way we are like various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. In other words, when you walk into church, you're not telling the church what its meaning is. You discover your meaning and your purpose only when you're part of the church body. Not separate to it, not apart from it, but only when you're part of the body. It goes on to say the body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of this body. God is so all about relationship that the calling on your life and the plans and purposes on your life, he has designed it as such that they are only discoverable and outworkable as part of the body of Christ. 
your identity, your calling, and your purpose cannot be found outside of the body. It is only revealed when you do life in community. Because not all about you and your giftings and talents on your own are not enough. You need other people to outwork the call of God on your life. There are other people that God has called you and I to partner with and to have relationship with. And when all of our giftings and talents come together in the body, only then do we truly discover who we are, what we've been called to be and do, and only then can the church truly be what it's been called to be. The second thing that happens when we get in community, we become whole in godly community. Forgiveness happens in an instant, and forgiveness is between us and God. But transformation happens in a lifetime in godly community. In James, it talks about confessing our sins one to another that we may be made whole. And God has designed it that we can get forgiven in a moment between us and God. But you become whole and you are transformed over a lifetime of doing life in godly community. And God has deliberately designed it that you and I cannot get whole and we can't be everything who God's called us to be in isolation. Part of your maturing Part of your wholeness that God has called you to is only formed in the beautiful mess of doing life with other broken people. And I love how God designs it because God knows we live in a fallen world and he knows we're all basket cases. And so he says, this is what I'm going to do. You're going to live together and you're all going to do life together and it's going to be messy and it's going to be ugly. And when you, when you do life, as you would know, if anyone in this room is married or if anyone in this room has a long, lifelong friend that you've done a lot of life with, you'd know as soon as you get close to people, anyone, your junk clashes with their junk. And so you might be forgiven for thinking the solution is isolation, the solution is cutting people out of my life, the solution is cutting my spouse out of my life and my children can go live on a farm far away and life will be wonderful that unfortunately doesn't work either because then you're left more miserable and more lonely and unable to be who God's called you to be worse off than you were in the first place so this is what God does he calls us to live life in community and when we do all the muck comes to the surface and it's not pretty but once the muck and your insecurities and their insecurities and all the baggage we're carrying once it is revealed in godly community it is a safe place for God to deal with it and then when we're struggling with each other we all go to God and God sets us free and God gives us perspective we can go back and forgive one another and do life and it's this whole constant dance of learning to do life in community but powered by God and the Holy Spirit. And every time the muck comes to the surface, the Holy Spirit's like, yes, an opportunity for health, wholeness, and healing. And when we uproot ourselves and leave godly community because of hurt and offence, we are cutting short the process halfway through. And God isn't able to finish and perfect the good work he's begun within you. And so when God talks about his spotless, blemish free bride, it's because we're in a process of becoming that because God's bringing beauty out of all the mess that Adam and Eve created in the garden. 
Number three, your relationship with God is proven in godly community. The Bible says your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. God hasn't called us just to merely believe, but to belong. It's not just about us and God. It's about us living with our brothers and sisters and in relationship with God. Number four, we grow spiritually when we participate in godly community. When we go from merely being an attender and a spectator and a visitor who pops in once a week for a service and kind of peers on the edge of the godly community and worships and off you go. When you go to being a participant who does life in godly community and serves in the community and ministers in the community and has lifelong friends and you're known in the community. You know people and they know you. Known enough for it to get ugly and then get beautiful. When you're doing all of that, you grow spiritually. Your spiritual muscles are strengthened and shaped and you become all God's called you to be spiritually in a way that you'll never become apart from and separate from godly community. Number five, when we do life in community, we experience love the way God intended it to be. There's a love that is found in the intimacy of a family that's unconditional, has no agendas, and it's a deep love that you can't find any other place in any other way. And until we do life in deep, intimate community as a family of God, you and I will never experience love the way God intended it to be. And you can't find that just on a serving team. My kids' team can't find love the way God intended it and family and community the way God intended it just by serving in kids. It's awesome that I have a kids team that serve. It's awesome that I'm part of the youth ministry and we have a youth team. But that is not all there is to godly community. Because on top of all that, I go to a connect group. And it is in my connect group where there is no agenda. It's not a task-focused people group. It's a relational-focused people group. And it is in my connect group when we lay aside everything And the agenda is simply relationship and family. That's where I find the love that God has intended us all to have. And I can't wait for there to be a day in the body of Christ where pastoral care is no longer a department of the church. I would love there to be no need to have a pastoral care department because if we all do life in community and family, family know your needs because they know you. And you know your brothers and sisters' needs and you can be there for them when they're sick and when they're in hospital and when they just need an encouraging word because when you are known, truly known, is when you experience love and family as the body of Christ was always intended it to be. Number six, church is godly community. Church isn't a Sunday service. The Sunday service is the icing of the church cake, but it's not the cake. And if you try and eat icing as the whole cake, get very sick very quickly. It's meant to just be this little sprinkle on the top. And so it's really important that you and I know that what we do here on a Sunday is the 
icing on the cake. It's the celebration. It's celebrating who we already are. It's not the forming of who we are. It is the culmination of who we already are, and that is people in community from Monday to Saturday who happen to come together on a Sunday to cheer each other on and to celebrate the wins and to speak the word of God and to go out again to keep doing life in community. I need to hurry up with my point. So seven, our children and the generations to come will grow up planted in the house when we do life in community. Very passionate about this one because I have kids and I'm a kids pastor and a youth pastor and a young adults pastor. And as to parents, I just want to speak to parents for one moment. If, if just for the sake of your children, do life in community. Because the next generation will grow up planted in the house if the previous generation modelled to them doing life in godly community. I've seen so many parents that make church this little side pocket, just a Sunday service once a fortnight and that's it. And if I was to ask them, do your friends have best friends in this church? Do your kids, sorry, your kids have best friends in this church? They'd say, no, not really. Are your kids planted in this church? No, they kind of skim in and skim out occasionally. They're, they're not known. They're not really known. They're not growing up planted in the house and they're missing 90% of the whole picture of God's design for this earth. And then when they get to their young adults years, they think church is just a church service. And it's not very life-changing. It's not very amazing. And none of their friends are here in church. They're all in university and they're all in the world. And then when they get to the age of deciding for themselves, there's not a lot keeping them in this community because they never actually came in and discovered anything of what it was like. And so I just want to encourage all of us for the sake of our children and the generations to come, let's discover what God has called us to in godly community. And my last point this morning, number eight, the world has a home to come home to when we do life in community. Until you and I have formed a healthy, vibrant community, newborn baby Christians have no home to go to. And God's whole plan was to us to form this vibrant, diverse, large, amazing family so that the unsaved have a home to come home to. It is the power of our connect groups that is the power of our follow-up system and discipleship system for newborn baby Christians because they're not born into a church service. They're born into a family and they're born into a community of believers. And if we haven't built the homes and if we haven't built the families, they've got nowhere to go to when they're born. So God has designed you and I for community. And when we do life in community, we get to discover the magnitude of the wonder and rewards and benefits of doing life in community, as well as the mess, as well as the pain. But do you know, you get the mess and the pain in life no matter what you do. <laughs> this way, you get all of the benefits and all of the good, and you get to partner with being God's plan on this earth. So what's it going to take from us? And I could get the band or whoever's playing keys this morning to hop on up. What's it going to take from us? It's going to take three things. The first thing it's going to take is surrender. 
maybe you've been sitting here listening this morning and you were just like, ah, my life is too busy to do life in godly community. I can barely get to church. My life is that full and that scheduled and that busy. And I agree with you. Your life is too busy. I wholeheartedly agree. Just because our world holds busyness up as a badge of honour and as almost a sign of success, if busyness stops us engaging in godly community, busyness is ungodly. Busyness must be submitted to doing life God's way. And so some of us may need to surrender our timetable, our rosters, our schedule, how many sports your kids do, how many musical instruments they learn. Because if your teenager is too busy to come to youth on a Friday night, there's something wrong with that picture. So we're going to need to surrender. Maybe you have to surrender your fear and past hurts of people in community that have hurt you. Maybe you need to surrender your pride of being independent or wanting to appear perfect. Because when you're insecure... You don't want to get close to anyone because they're going to find out the real you. Well, the good news is we're all just as ugly on the inside. <laughs> so it's not a shock to anyone. <laughs> the real us is pretty much the same as the person next to us. And if we will surrender and bring down our walls and bring down our fear and our pride and our busyness and lay it at the foot of the cross, then God will bring something beautiful out. It's going to take commitment because you can't form a good relationship without quality time and a commitment to it. And it's going to take honesty because maybe you're already part of a connect group and you're not experiencing life in community the way I've talked about it today. Because it's more than just attending a connect group. It's being authentic and honest and real when you're there. It's actually saying, I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? It's actually saying, I've been sick for the last week and I might need a meal or some help. When, when we're all honest and when we're all authentic, only then can true relationship flourish. Imagine if we were all part of a healthy, vibrant connect group. Imagine if every single one of us had a small group of people in this church that knew us inside and out, that loved us unconditionally, that annoyed us at times, but then we get to grow in God and become more like God. <laughs> Imagine if every young person in this church came to our youth group on a Friday night, because that's where our youth are learning to do life in godly community. On Friday nights, we have discipleship groups, which are our youth's version of connect groups. On Friday nights, they learn that church is more than a Sunday service. Church is a family. It's a group of friends. It's your whole world doing life in God's community and going out and bringing other people into God's community. Imagine if all our kids, our primary school kids and our preschool kids were so planted in life source kids that they learnt from a baby that church is doing life in community. That their best friends weren't just at school but their best friends were here in the house of God. And then they'd have a group of friends to bring their school friends into. That's the whole plan. That's the whole purpose. Imagine if we all surrendered our pride and our fears and our busyness to do life the way God intended it. 
it's not a fairy tale we're talking about this morning. It's not a utopian, crazy place that we're all going to go live. It's God's plan for humanity. That his church would be doing life together in community. That's where we find everything we need in the body of Christ. When you are known and when I am known, warts and all, by a small group of people in the body of Christ. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.